The burning is supposed to be intense for about half an hour. It is one of the most pleasurable sensations I've had. That's, that's the next step, guys. Putting some uh, Sensodyne on your girl's whisper, whisper biscuit. Yeah. Like if we were farmers and we were like, remember four years ago? We hit all that fruit everywhere. <laughs> the storming of Christian's trainer on July 14th, 1789 led to the start of the French Revolution. I recall it being like being circumcised again through my ears. This book would be so much better <laughs> if it was about Christian's grooming habits. <laughs> do, you, do you feel the same way about Batman? Yeah, in a lot of ways. Fuck Batman. I'm going to make you come like a freight train, baby. You're like my Christian Grey, because you're just finding different ways to fuck me all the time. Welcome to Booked, where two guys tell you about the books they're reading. I'm Rob Olson. And I'm Livia Snedna. This week, we're going to be reviewing... Um, Gray by E.L. James. Now, Rob, in the time that we've been reviewing books, has there been anything that, that has come, you know, uh, on our plate that we reviewed that you were more unhappy about? Literally nothing. <laughs> so, um, for those who don't know, Gray is a, um, a, a point of view change from Fifty Shades of Gray. So it's a book we reviewed when it came out, whatever, a year ago, a year and a half ago. Um, it's told from the point of view of Anastasia Steele. This time it's told from the point of view of Christian Grey. So you have to imagine it's got to be, it's got to add some really great content in order for, for this exact same story to be retold. But before we get that far. You have to hope. I think the word is hope. Hope. Yes. Hope. Yeah. Uh, first we've taken on, uh, we can't take on a task this big by ourselves. So we have a special guest who we're going to talk about in a moment. But first, a little bit about the author. E.L. James is a TV executive, wife and mother of two, based in West London. Since early childhood, she dreamt of writing stories that readers would fall in love with, but put those dreams on hold and wrote these books instead. Sorry, I couldn't help it. <laughs> but put those dreams on hold to focus on her family and her career. She finally plucked up the courage to put pen to paper with her first novel, Fifty Shades of Grey, which isn't exactly true because it was Twilight fan fiction. Maybe we'll talk about some of that later. Yeah, yeah. Um, here's a little bit about the... I'm going to point out uh, it's probably going to be louder on my side than usual. I know that we're always concerned about you can't that you can hear everything that's going on outside and then like when I re-listen to the episode you can like hear none of it. But um, it's the... It's Sunday the 28th, right? The 28th? It is. Mm-hmm. And um, the Chicago uh, Gay Pride Parade... Uh, it took place earlier today, and the route goes right in front of my apartment, so there's a lot of people still partying out there. Um, so I'll be trying to mute my mic, but you will hear some pounding bass and some screaming and maybe some pounding other stuff. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Um, that was in the spirit of this book, so I'm going to read the synopsis for you. See the world of Fifty Shades of Grey anew through the eyes of Christian Grey. In Christian's own words, and through his thoughts, reflections, and dreams, E.L. James offers a fresh perspective on the love story that has enthralled millions of readers around the world. I guess that's kind of the pre-synopsis stuff, but I, I thought it was important. Christian Grey exercises control in all things. His world is neat, disciplined, and utterly empty until the day Anastasia Steele falls into his office in a tangle of shapely limbs and tumbling brown hair. He tries to forget her, but instead is swept up in a storm of emotion he cannot comprehend and cannot resist. Unlike any woman he has known before, shy, unworldly Anna seems to see right through him. 
Pass the Business Prodigy and the Penthouse Lifestyle to Christian's Cold, Wounded Heart. Will being with Anna dispel the horrors of his childhood that haunt Christian every night? Or will his dark sexual desires, his compulsion to control, and the self-loathing that fills his soul drive this girl away and destroy the fragile hope she offers him? Does she, do they have to answer that? We fucking know. <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah, we do. I mean, as a synopsis for a book, if it wasn't the book everybody was talking about you know, two years ago, it's a fair synopsis, right? Um, yeah, just assuming that nothing was already known, it's it's good. All right, so um, you mentioned special guest. Uh, I'll be honest with you. I um I wasn't looking forward to reading this book, but I thought it would make for a good episode. And since we read Fifty Shades of Grey, seeing it from the other side, I, I had hopes, as Rob mentioned the right word, is hopes. It was going to be better and, and more fulfilling than the first one. At any rate, I coerced, totally coerced Rob into doing this. And um, pretty much um, uh, we said we would get a, a guest host and uh, a Brandon Teets, um, who you've heard on the show only in reading, never as a, a co-host. Um, we, we hosted a reading in Chicago last year. It's the infamous pie theft incident happened during the course of that reading. But Brandon's here with us tonight to to talk about Gray. That's right. Before we bring him on, I'll just tell you a little bit about Brandon. This is his author bio we pulled from Amazon. Brandon Teets is the author of Out of Touch and Good Sex, Great Prayers. His short stories have been widely published with work appearing in Warmed and Bound, Amsterdamned If You Do, Spark, a creative anthology, Solar Cycle Tendencies, and the Chuck Palahniuk Anthology, Burnt Tongues. That's the Richard Thomas Anthology, right? Yes, yes it is. Teets currently serves as contributor for LitReactor.com. He lives and works in Kansas City, Mo. He was not in the booked anthology, so we don't have to give him shit about that. That's correct. So that's good. Yes, it's good. It's refreshing not to have to do that episode <laughs> after <yeah>. episode. Yeah. <laughs> Astute listeners may remember that we also um, reviewed and really liked Good Sex, Great Prayers. So uh, he'll talk a little bit about that. Uh, Brandon's working currently, currently working on a short story collection, and I... And got to read two of them today. So maybe we'll talk a little bit about that after the review as well. Intriguing. All right, Brandon, thanks so much for coming on and uh, helping us talk shit about this book. <laughs> Thank you for having me. Here's the thing. Normally when we ask someone to review something, <laughs> like so-and-so might like this book. And this is why we're going to ask them to spend seven hours of their free time reading something. In this case, I feel like we almost owe you an apology. Now, you may have really liked this book. We don't know, and we won't know until we actually review it. But in the event that you didn't, I do feel like we slighted you, and we're like, here, read this book we're pretty sure is going to be kind of shitty, and then come on and talk with us about it. You know, going into it, I, I pretty much expected to hate it. And I pretty much did. So, you know, in, in that way, it was exactly what I thought it was going to be. And so I wasn't let down, which is awesome. To not be let down by something what, you know is going to be terrible. When the book meets your exact expectations. Right? It was exactly what I knew it was going to be, and great. Great. It met expectations perfectly. Also, to be fair, I think it was Nick Corpon that volunteered you for this task, right? It wasn't that we, we recruited you. I know. What a fucker, right? Um, no, but I, <laughs> I love Nick, and, and, and he's right. You know, I, I probably am the best person to do this. 
All right, well, we're going to um, hang up, and you can just record the review then. And um, <laughs> No, actually, the, the, bad, the bad part's done. Now we get to have fun and <laughs> say talk shit about it. I don't know that we're going to spend a lot of time on the plot as we assume. I think we assume that most people are fairly familiar with what it's about. Um, I'll take a quick minute and kind of run through it. Uh, the okay. book takes place over the course of a month. Um, it, it's uh, if you haven't seen the movie yet, I've heard the movie is better than. But I tried watching the movie and fell asleep like three quarters of the way through. So I, I don't, I don't, I don't know how the movie ended. Um, but basically, what we have is um, Anastasia Steele, um, about to graduate, like a week away from graduating college, is asked to go and interview someone for her roommate who has fallen ill. The person she's interviewing is Christian Gray, who's the sexiest, richest man on the face of the earth. Um, she's super awkward and clumsy. Uh, he is absolutely fascinated with her, but he has a lifestyle where he doesn't carry on normal um, lovey-dovey relationships like the rest of us do. Um, he's just basically into sadomasochism. Um, he tries to bring her into this lifestyle. <laughs> he's he's very firm about she has to do this except for every chapter where he relents and doesn't uh, make her come over to his lifestyle and uh, so on and so forth. Uh, it's kind of a back and forth between the two of them for like 500 pages. Pretty much. Yeah, that really, that sums it up. And now um, we did review, I think it was episode 87, we reviewed Fifty Shades of Grey, which was uh, the Anastasia Steele perspective. And um, we didn't like it. And I think... Well, was, was it worse than this? Because this was pretty bad, and I, you know, the funny thing is, like, when I read this, I was like, man, this is pretty fucking bad. Her perspective can't be any worse. Um, it was, it was not worse. It was, um... A different flavor of bad. <laughs> it actually, honestly, it actually made kind of the rapey stuff a little bit easier to swallow when it was from her perspective, because we're like, okay, she's kind of cool with it. Uh, <laughs> See, no, hold on a second. Yeah. I think it was equally bad. I think that this one maybe didn't seem as bad because we, again, expectations. So we knew the whole story. We knew exactly what the writing style was. I joked on the last episode because I'd already started reading it. Hey, maybe she fixed some of the problems that we had with the first one. And she didn't. It's, it's exactly the same thing. Um, but the rapey thing. I was thinking, because you said this, Rob. I think you said during the last episode, and I know I saw it in some of your notes that, that you had sent over to me um, earlier in the week. Isn't Christian really the exact opposite of rapey? Like, he wants her to sign an agreement saying this stuff's okay. Isn't that what, like, the, the, the feminist movement's all about? I mean, isn't Christian the ideal person? The feminist movement is about paperwork? Well, but it's about it's about consent. And this guy wants it, like, in writing verified by a lawyer. So I think it's, like, the opposite of rapey, whatever that is. You might have me on the ropes here, buddy. Um... <laughs> I mean... I got a rapey vibe off of him. All right, here's why. All right, here's why I think I go to the rapey mindset. Um, I'm not gonna. All right, that's not what I meant. <laughs> sounds Here, let me show you example page one. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's when he's a baby. Um, <clears throat> no, but I, I think what I think because like every time because we're seeing this from his perspective, so we're hearing his thoughts. Um, uh, so like whatever's happening in a specific scene, and almost anything that is going on inspires him sexually no matter what the situation is like she could sneeze and he'd be like oh my body reacted to that and it's like man this guy's a total horn dog creeper that's kind of where I, that's where I'm coming from with the rapey vibe can, can I just do a quote just 
piggybacking off of that. <laughs> of course. Absolutely. Literally right in front of me. Okay. Absentmindedly, she wipes a crumb from the corner of her lips and into her mouth and sucks on her finger. My cock twitches in response. What am I, 14? <laughs> what the fuck is that shit? Uh, and you almost have to forgive him because he has the presence of mind to realize he's acting like a 14-year-old, but then you don't forgive him because fuck that guy. Or he's he's being written by a 14-year-old. This I'm going to... Um, I don't know if we've ever done this, but since since we're our, quotes are a great way to, to really examine what's wrong with this story, so I think we're going to spend <laughs> a lot of time in the quote section. But have we ever reviewed a dedication other than to mention that like we were mentioned in it or something along those lines, Rob? Um, I have mentioned acknowledgments. Stephen Graham's Jones tends to write the like the most heartfelt and thoughtful acknowledgments, but um, I don't think much beyond that. Here is the dedication for this book. This book is dedicated to those readers who asked and asked and asked and asked for this. <laughs> so let's stop there for a second. There were people who asked to have the story told through Christian's eyes four times, according to E.L. James. I'm finding that a little difficult to believe. And then it says, thank you for all that you've done for me. That makes perfect sense, right? Because they made her a fucking billionaire. You rock my world every day. Oh, my God. Every day. Every yeah. day. Well, but they're asking repeatedly. I mean, four times at least. It was like four people that asked. And she's like, yeah, you know, four years is a short enough time span to go back to the well. <laughs> oh. So... um. I, I and I know, Brandon. You said you saw the movie. You had mentioned this to me in a message. Um, the thing that really concerns me about this now, without having read the other two um, Fifty Shades books, Fifty Shades Grayer and Fifty Sheds, Fifty Shades. God, I hope this is over. Um, I want to read the Fifty Sheds of Gray book. Fifty Sheds of Gray. Placed <laughs> <laughs> at a storage facility. Um, I guess that it just feels like this book was so unnecessary. Oh, no, no. I completely agree with you. Um, I mean, four years. Four years and she's already going back to the well. Like, from the perspective of a writer, it's like, okay, you've had your big success. You've made your fucking money, which clearly she has. This is the perfect time to put out your passion piece, really whatever the fuck you want. It's your time to take a risk because you're on a hot streak. And whatever you put out, it's going to sell. Like just when, uh, like when J.K. Rowling put out uh, Casual Vacancy, everyone was going to buy that fucking book, no matter what. But instead, E.L. James is going back to the well already. So I don't know what's up with that. It seems greedy. No, it is greedy. I'm glad you went all in on that statement <laughs> because I agree. Um, yeah. That's the and that was I think that was our hope like our kind of naive hope going into it was that like she somehow like Livia said she somehow grew and um and she took the opportunity to really sh shape this into something good or to address the concerns of the people who think this is just a gigantic 500 page abusive relationship but she kind of fucking leaned into it even more than she did in the original book which is kind of, which if you ask me is just insane yeah, the, here's here's what we get in this book. So, spoiler alert, in case you're going to read this. <laughs> what we get is a little bit of backstory on Christian, told mostly 
through some of the worst dream sequences I've ever read. Oh yeah, those were bad. Livius's favorite thing in the world. I fucking hate dream sequences, and these were particularly bad. Um, and, and then um, there's a, a situation that arises with one of Christian's ex-submissives, which Rob and I were discussing. I don't think is mentioned at all in the first book. Now, it could be that that was added in there because if we read the third Fifty Shades of Grey book, maybe this comes up and this was kind of set up for it. That's certainly a possibility. I don't know. It's unlikely that I'm going to find out, um, at least without someone just telling me that that's the case. That's it. Everything else, the dialogue between the two of them, I have to, I didn't look at them side by side because I already wasted enough time with both these books, but is exactly the same. So there's really no outlining. Whenever he's not with Anastasia, basically he's brushing off some important work thing. We didn't see that <laughs> from, from her standpoint, you know. Uh, and then he's like jogging past her house in a very stalkery kind of way. It's just amazing, like, how much time he makes for himself. Like, just brushing off the company work so he can get his fucking dick wet. And this guy's a billionaire, right? Or is he just a multimillionaire? No, he's oh, a billionaire. Yeah. Like, he's a billionaire. He, yeah. he jogging can... by some chick's house, putting shit off just so he can stalk this girl. And the other thing that comes to mind is when they're going back and forth and, and she sends an email that he doesn't like... And instead of dealing with it over the phone or through email, he's like, fuck this. I'm going to Georgia to get her. Can we talk about the emails for a minute? Sure. Yeah, those, the book were... takes place in 2011, right? Mm-hmm. Who fucking sends emails in 2011? Like, the, I mean, the type of conversation they were having, that's a text conversation. That's text messaging. And from their corporate email account. It's got his fucking corporate signature. On the email account. Right. This, this guy's really concerned about NDAs and contracts, and he's using the fucking corporate email account to do this shit? <laughs> all the the guys in the IT department are just always having a snicker about all the oh. stupid, like, 12-year-old bullshit he's sending to these, like, you know, barely legal college girls. This and guy what, is, is so rich, he should have a burner phone for, like, each day of the week. Yeah. And I think that that brings up an interesting point. It's not that text messaging isn't mentioned. He text messages with his brother, which was all pointless in the course of the story, too, I I might mention. It's a bunch of his brother going, hey, let's go get a beer, and him going, no, I'm busy. Hey, let's go do this. No, I'm busy. So I didn't really understand what all the texts from his brother were about. So there is text messaging in the book. It's not that, you know, because my thought initially about the email was, well, you know, it takes place in 2011, but she probably wrote this thing in 2008, and maybe then text messaging wasn't a big thing, you know, so they adapted and they changed the year to make it more current, but it's still, you know, Blackberry's a big deal because in 2011, Blackberries weren't a big deal anymore either. Yeah. So I thought some of it was just adaptation to bring it up to speed. But yeah, it's, um, I think that it was page filler because I got to tell you, man, I could breeze through those email pages a lot faster than the ones that had like actual story, like non-email story. So I think that was just an extra 40 pages of emails. Yeah, I think that, well, filler filler is a good idea. There's also, actually, now that you mentioned breezing through pages, like, I don't know if you guys did this, but there were the whole chapters where I knew that if I read the last few words of a paragraph, I pretty much understood everything that went on. <laughs> I read every fucking word, man. Every word. Yeah, so every. did I, unfortunately. <laughs> I don't know, there's like a hundred page, well, I don't know if it's hundred pages, but a big, one of the bigger chapters, I got through in like 20 minutes, because I was like, alright, I get what's going on. I don't, I don't think I missed anything. 
Yeah, at one point there's like a fucking 55 page chapter in there, right? Yeah, they're, some of them are big. Yeah, it's six emails and Christian's response to all of them, which is, oh, she, she makes me laugh when she sends emails. Fuck. Yeah, what a fucking doofus. I think, so, so far, I think we're getting to the point where, like, we're supposed to think that Christian is this, like, big badass business guy who's got, like, a dark side. And really, he's just this goofy teenager who never, you know... Figured out what life really is like. Am I? Am, are you guys on the same page? Kind of. Yeah. In defense to his character, for those who don't know, Christian's um, inauguration into sexuality was with a, a much older woman, a friend of his, um, his stepmother's, um, or I'm sorry, his adopted mother, who um, who introduced him to like BDSM. So I could see there being a little stunt in his development of the oh i'm I'm gonna ask her to go to the movies with me and i'm gonna buy her flowers kind of thing so from there that's the only relationships he's had have been with um with the woman who you know used to tie him up and flog him and that translated into him tying up other women and flogging them the the thing that kind of seemed inconsistent to me is that he would he would make a statement very boldly and very clearly i don't do relationships that is not my thing and then the next minute he's like, oh, hey, my mom's here. Come meet her. I don't do relationships. Oh, let's go gliding. It's just he's very wishy-washy. Yeah, that's something we talked about, I think, during the first review was that he couldn't stick to anything for like a full paragraph. Oh, yeah, no. And <laughs> it, it really couldn't. That was just one of the many reasons I couldn't get on, on board with, with him. I, I just didn't believe anything he said. Yeah, because he was a poorly written character. Um, I did that too. Did you guys notice that a lot of the Britishisms kind of slipped in there? Like she, she can't write Americans. Um, do you have examples? Did your version, whenever referring to eating, did it say uh, "tuck in"? Never. No. Okay. See, mine did. Okay. And I was like, Americans don't say that. <laughs> yeah, I, I, Robin, I may be reading the American version of this book. So. Oh, okay. So I, I got the, uh, I got the OG version. Oh, interesting. Hmm. Did it still? What it still took place in like Seattle and shit, right? Oh yeah, of course. That's fucking weird. Yeah, that is weird. So yeah, I think we can agree he was a poorly written character. Um, the other, the other thing that I. I had an issue with, and, and I don't know because I don't have that. I don't believe that either one of you do either. But he didn't want to be touched, which all goes back to some abuse he suffered when when he was a child, when he was living with his birth mother, who's a, a crack whore in his own words, um, who has a very abusive um, boyfriend that it seems like she had for for a long time. But I would, I don't know, and, and I hate getting into these psychological games because I don't have these problems, so I can't pretend to understand what somebody goes through that that had that problem. But he's like, I can't be touched, but I can spoon somebody naked. Like, I got it if it was going to be like, I can just have sex where my genitals touch someone else's genitals. But like, he could spoon with her and he could, you know what I mean? It wasn't, uh, it wasn't just, I, I don't know. I guess the only issue he really had was like, if she put his hand, her hand on his chest, like that was a no fucking way. But other than that, anything goes. Yeah, the, the chest seemed to be the, the no fly zone with him. And then everything else was cool. But I don't know. I mean, you're right. There was a lot of, like, inconsistency there. And I got to be honest, the whole crackhead 
crackhead mom thing didn't work for me. Honestly, what I was expecting is that he would have been like fucking molested as a child. And, you know, that lead to the whole issue. But um, I, I don't know. I mean, it, it just doesn't add up. But, you know, I don't know <laughs> shit either. So, you know, it's it's not like I'm a an authority on guys who don't like to be touched and are into fucking whipping and spanking. Well, since this door has kind of been opened up, I want to talk about a couple of things about this. Okay. So f- first of all, he had a crack whore mom. Um, so, of course, they grew up in Detroit, right? Because that, that's where all the crack that's, are. That's where all the crack whores are. Since this door has kind of been opened with the, the crack whores and everything like that, um, a thought that I was having, and you guys may or may not agree with me, I might just be kind of blowing this out of proportion, is, like, why should we fucking care about this guy's problems from his childhood? He obviously survived. He got adopted by a good family, or at least, like, a less terrible family. And now he's, like, a billionaire. And I know these things don't just kind of wash away, but, like, there he has all the resources in the world to not be a fucked up person. Right? Am I right about that? Do you, do you feel the same way about Batman and how it's like, I don't care if your fucking parents are killed, you're Batman now. Fuck you. Yeah, in a lot of ways. <laughs> God, Ralph. Fuck Jesus, Batman. Man. Whoa, when you was Christian Grey, that was one thing. I was like, it carried away. <laughs> no, but if you think about it, like, there are people out there who went through the same shit who aren't billionaires who probably live more, like, solid, normal lives just because they don't have another choice. Um, it's true. I mean, I see what you're saying. I don't really give a shit about Christian Grey one way or the other. I mean, from... In defense of the author, I think that that's part, partly important to explain why he's, you know, a sex bully, basically. Um, based on the fact that if it was like, oh, he grew up in, you know, in this great home and he was captain of the football team, he never had anything, <laughs> then he would just come across as a bully. I think that E.L. James thinks that we're going to feel sorry for him. And, and I will say, ugh, I will say, because there's some redeeming qualities, there's very few. Like some of those passages, like the thing about Christian is he owns all these different companies. He does all these different things. But his main passion, other than than beating women, is uh, food for people, for like no one to go hungry. And, and there are some fairly moving passages in his dreams from when he's a kid about like the things he tries to eat. And like him looking through like the fridge and there's just like cheese with this like green fuzz on it and like that's all there is to eat so some of it i think a a little bit felt bad for the guy so i understood his motivations to use his billions to direct some of that towards feeding people in like darfur um but yeah as as far as his sexual proclivities i wasn't really buying much of his young childhood translating into you know whipping and, and beating women i think that he'd be looking for a better mother figure someone that would really be kind and gentle with him I think James set herself a not an impossible task, but a really fucking hard task, which is uh, uh, getting sympathy for a, a character that you just cannot fucking hope to sympathize with. Um, you know, yeah, the, the crack whore mom thing, you know, the grown up poor thing. Um, you know, it, it's a scale of who the guy is versus who he was. And it's just unfairly weighted on, on the wrong end. It's like, you, you can't sympathize with the guy. Um, you know, and I never felt, uh, emotionally invested in him. I never fucking felt sorry for him. Um, you know, maybe she should have taken some of those pages 
and beefed up that backstory because it really was told in what dream sequence sequences and just very small glimpses. So maybe she should have focused on that a little bit more. I agree. Like this is the, and, and I know this isn't what you're saying, Brandon, but this is kind of what I was feeling when you were saying it is like, this is probably the only book I've ever read or story I've ever kind of heard that had these type of characters where I was like, fuck that little kid of a crack whore. Cause I just didn't care about him. Oh yeah. I agree with you. Totally. Well, listen, in three years, when she tells the Fifty Shades of Grey story through the eyes of his driver, <laughs> maybe it'll be through the staff. So it'll be through his his maid who's trying to feed him all the time and his driver who sympathizes with his, you know, relationship troubles with Anna and whatever Rose or whatever the the, the chick that has to put up with him at work three years from now. Maybe when we <laughs> see that story, we'll feel a little bit bad for Christian. Let me ask you guys a question, and this is this is something that I was thinking about because at first I was really pissed off by the fact that she was going back to the well so soon. I mean, four years is, is pretty soon to be going back already. But then I was thinking about, I was like, would I really be upset if Polinick decided to redo Fight Club from the perspective of Tyler Durden or if perhaps Brett Easton Ellis redid American Psycho through the eyes of his victims and his girls and his co-workers. And I don't think it's the fact so much that she's revisiting it. I think it's really just that she's so dog shit at it. Yeah, I mean, I think a lot of that has to do with what the end result would be. Uh, a fight club through Tyler Durden's eyes could be crap, I guess. It could um, be crap. But it, it was just right, just so fucking unnecessary. That's what it is. I don't feel that I got anything more from this. And I mean, look, I expected to dislike this book, but I read it objectively and said, okay, what is this bringing to the world of Fifty Shades of Grey? And, and you know what? Again, as a disclaimer, I'll say I didn't read books two and three. So maybe some of this contributed to the future Christian Grey story. Like there were some insights that somebody else read. They flipped the page and said, Oh man, this now makes sense with this other stuff that happened in one of the previous books. I didn't really get any of that, and it just felt unnecessary. And really, you said it earlier, it felt like a money grab. It felt like a quick way to make five million dollars in book sales, and and that's it. Oh no, it's a total money. Uh, it's a total money grab, and I am gonna laugh my ass off if there is a separate set of movies or perhaps a Broadway show that is from his perspective. <laughs> a musical. <laughs> Be excellent. Oh God, save us! We should work on that right now. Uh, <laughs> uh, Livius, really quickly, it's kind of funny that uh, you know I was doing a chapter breakdown for this book, right? I do. And you don't. You have those two. What's that? I did one of those two actually. Oh, we're gonna have to compare. That's awesome. Um, Livius, you have not seen this yet, but for the second to last chapter. My only note is, I hope the next book is from Taylor's perspective. And Taylor's the driver. Perfect. <laughs> I'm hoping it's from the photographer's perspective. <laughs> can, it's can, just can, him, like, furiously <laughs> masturbating to Anna. That, that uh, fucking Christian Grey guy. Can we bloody marry this where we say it four times and it'll just happen? Dude, if it's from the photographer's perspective, it's going to be like... Christian's thugs beat me up again today. I can't say anything to Anna or they'll kill me. <laughs> That's the other thing that was lacking. And I, I guess I realized that this was from the um, 
even from Anna's point of view in the first one, is that what seemed to be lacking was a jealousy of all the other men of Christian. He's incredibly good-looking. All these other guys are kind of interested in Anna. He's a billionaire. There, there's not even like a, a, a jealous glance from Jose, the photographer, or anybody else. Like, nobody really cares. Christian, like, all the women bat their eyes at Christian throughout the course of the book. Um, but none of the men even, like, react to his presence. Which is a little weird, I think. You know, I picked up on that, too. And I also picked up on the fact that he he really didn't feel like a billionaire to me. He didn't feel like a Tony Stark. I didn't really feel the excess. I mean, the, the most excess there is is like, oh, here's a car. Here's a computer. Here's a phone. But, like, I, I really didn't feel like this guy was, like, fucking filthy rich. I just felt like he was rich enough to throw out a car and a phone and a computer occasionally. Yeah. Yeah. I can I can see that. Um I was just I was just trying to think of what I would do as a billionaire. And the first thought was like I wouldn't care about one college girl. <laughs> That's good. Uh, I'd have to get him in six packs. <laughs> right, exactly. There's like yeah. there's some extreme thing like um, I'd be like, oh, there's this girl who lives in Australia who looks hot on Instagram. She's going to come and someone's going to fly her out here just to see if I like her. Like that kind of thing. Yeah, uh, I, I really I, and I still don't understand what his deal was with Anna because I'm like the only thing that I could fathom was is she so completely fucking normal and mundane that she slips into being exotic because that's not what he's used to. Speaking of slipping, I have one other, and it's just a minor annoyance, is she is portrayed in the beginning of this book in the synopsis as really super clumsy, right? She falls into his office in a tangle of shapely limbs and tumbling brown hair. And then she's anything but clumsy. She actually, she's a virgin, again, spoiler, sorry, um, when she meets him. But she seems to be fairly adept at sex. <laughs> like she's not clumsy at all in the rest of this book. But they introduce her as super clumsy, which might have made it a better book if they made her a little more um the chick from Twilight who was clumsy and awkward through those four books. That was actually kind of endearing. Yeah, and you know what? Uh her what, her first blowjob is like the perfect blowjob? Am I remembering that right? Yeah, according yeah. to Christian, yeah. Yeah, and she's like, That was the first time I ever did that. Yeah, talk about the suspension of disbelief. Um, <laughs> his, his dick should have been hamburger meat. Right, exactly. Person. Like, he should have been in tears from the terribleness of it. Um, yes. But this whole conversation does bring up a good point. Is This is an adaptation of an adaptation of Twilight, basically, when it comes down to it. So the reason that there's this big disconnect between him and being a billionaire is that he's not like an ancient like vampire who goes to high school with her like there you know like so there's there's so much of a disconnect from where the story began to where it is now that like i think things are just getting kind of stretched out and becoming um indecipherable from where they kind of began mm -hmm. if that makes sense so it's a very good point and, and you know what i forgot when i was comparing her to the protagonist from twilight that this is that's where this started even though we kind of mentioned it <laughs> early i actually forgot yeah, yeah she's uh. she's bella the photographer is the wolf kid. Yeah. So I think that has something to do with it. Like it's getting, wa it's getting watered down and, um, 
you know, just it's like a game of telephone. Like by the time this book is written from the fifth perspective, it's not going to look anything like the fucking Twilight fan fiction that it began as. Thank fucking God for that. <laughs> yeah, maybe. Well, it's not going in the right direction though. It's not getting better. Brandon, did you read Twilight? Uh, you know, I listened to it on uh, audiobook just to see what all the all the fuss was about, and you know, I, I recall it. I recall it being like being circumcised again through my ears. <laughs> I'm gonna go out on a limb and I'm going to channel my 16 year old inner goddess. Um, yeah, I, I was okay with the Twilight books. I'm gonna say far, far better, especially that first one was far better than Fifty Shades of Grey or. Oh Grey. no, I, yeah, I totally agree with you on that one. Oh, uh, an interesting. So, Brandon, you did not read Fifty Shades of Grey, right? No, I did not. You know what? I uh, spoiler alert. I uh, downloaded it illegally. Yeah, come at me. I don't give a shit. Um, <laughs> and then I was gonna read it if I had time. And then I did have time to read it. And then I just kept living my life. All right. <laughs> so I'll never know how bad it is. Um, the reason I bring that up is because in the in the Fifty Shades of Grey book. There is an inner goddess, and that is like um, the Anna character has her inner goddess, which like that's is that the fucking like mother figure of her brain, Livius? I don't remember. Yes, I oh, think. Oh Jesus! So is like, it like in a is it in italics or whatever? Yeah, kind of. So like the inner goddess is like the feminist, like you shouldn't be doing this because it's not good thing. Okay. But she also had a subconscious. She called it her subconscious, which was the one that like when something happened that she was excited about, the subconscious would do cartwheels and stuff. I think I got that right. I might have them mixed around. The problem is the subconscious, if you think about what a subconscious is, it's something that never has contact with your conscious brain, right? So how could you fucking know? So like that was, that was missing from this and that was nice, but we did have uh, Christians like italicized uh, inner thoughts, which were like the most annoying shit. (laughs) We had Christians cock. Is what we Those have. were fucking hilarious. Like, and it was. How many times did he say, "Don't go there, Gray. Don't go there." If you want, I could do a search. Oh God, <laughs> it's at least six or seven. It, it comes up a lot. And did you guys notice his cock seemed to be like a separate entity from him? Yeah. 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 Oh, dude, I've got statistics. You're not sharing this document that we have, but um, um, his cock twitches three times in the book, which it, it's not as many as I thought based on reading it. Um, but uh, he, his favorite part of his anatomy, he brings up like 15 times or something like that. Um, yeah, it, it's definitely its own character in this book for sure. Maybe the uh, next Fifty Shades will be from the Cox perspective. It could be the best book yet. It could. God damn it, I would probably read that. That's probably the only way I would read another one of these. I'd be like, this has got to be good. That um, uh, six, 650 pages of it, that thing just busted diamonds. <laughs> I'm going to, again, because I don't know anything or very little about the BDSM community, um, my understanding is that BDSM is more about power and less about sex. But for Christian, it's really only about sex. Right? Yeah, I mean, you know, it seemed... I mean, what, he, like, he he 
he puts her in the uh, in the cuffs, and and you know the cuffs are attached to the ceiling. There's some uh, some spanking. Uh, there's the riding crop, and I'm not recalling very much else. I mean, it seems to be very light. Yeah. Speaking of spanking, this is one <laughs> of the mental notes I made. Um, El James should um, should should contact Richard Thomas because he writes a better spanking scene than she does. <laughs> oh shit! That gauntlet was just dropped. Um, yep. Yeah, I'm fairly certain that like we talked to enough people that we're gonna run into someone who's had like a more fucked up sex encounter like accidentally on a random weekend than like what was written very specifically for this book. Can I can I point out just some quick? I got some little like this is really digging down into very specific gripes with the book because like I, I don't want anybody to think it was written intelligently. No, um, go for it because I, I think I have a, a few I can pull as well. So, at one point in the book, uh, this is a quote from Anna. You beguile me, Christian. Completely overwhelm me. And then I was thinking about just that part before I read the rest of the quote. And I was thinking, well, that's the roofies. Um, And then she says, I feel like Icarus flying too close to the sun. But, like, Icarus flying too close to the sun with the wings of wax was an act of hubris. So it was, like, an act of, like, excessive pride. What she's saying here is that she's overwhelmed by his experience with sex. So, like, fuck that, because that's a bad thing to say. It's funny, because I actually highlighted that quote. Did you have the same thought as me? Yeah, I did have the same fucking quote. <laughs> now, David James Keaton will tell you, just because the character's wrong. Right, doesn't mean the author's wrong, yeah, I know. Doesn't I know. mean the author's wrong, but in this case, I'm pretty sure that the author was wrong. Um, um, I, have an, I got another really quick one I want to nitpick. This isn't even a nitpick. This is just a funny thought I had to myself because, like, when a book is as terrible as this book is, you have to find ways to, like, entertain yourself to, like, survive. And um, he starts talking about his trainer, whose name is Bastille. And I made a note to myself, the storming of Christian's trainer on July 14th, 1789, led to the start of the French Revolution. (laughs) Nothing? Um. Nothing, Livius? (laughs) That's that's history, not my strong, not my strong <laughs> suit. Um, I, I like it. Like it. Um, yeah, I. Uh, I mean, I guess we could just get into quotes where we just spend twenty minutes just taking turns reading shitty quotes. I mean, is that is that really where that's pretty? I know there's one quote in this like thirty-eight or something that I marked that I actually liked, and I'm going to try to find that one to show. Um, you know, again, one of the very few redeeming qualities. And Are you guys ready to move into that? <laughs> that's why you have the title of apologist on this book, because if there's anybody who's unsympathetic that you want to like that that like needs someone to align with, you're the one that aligns with them. All right, can uh, I start? Absolutely. I got a great, terrible one. All right, they uh, to set this up, they are about to fuck for the umpteen time. Um, I'm going to make you come like a freight train, baby. <laughs> because freight trains come really hard. I don't know if you guys knew that or not, but like so hard. How did they not get you for the audiobook version of this? I don't know if that spot's still available, but I'm thinking you should apply. I swear to God, if I said that to Wendy, I, she would laugh and get out of bed. <laughs> I was thinking, like, come like a freight train, like really slow and in the middle of the night. <laughs> like, While tying up traffic. Yeah, like, this, yeah. yeah in the middle of a fucking. Intersection. 
You're gonna make the diesel juices come out of me, baby. <laughs> oh, that's good. Um, all right. <clears throat> uh, this quote is just one that this is another one of my my bitches about the book. Um, and I'm gonna preface this quote by saying this this is isn't something that was said by a ten year old girl, because that's the only acceptable person who would have said this. Uh, here's the quote: "It's Chardonnay. It'll be more drinkable with the ice." And that was Christian saying that. Hmm. Yeah, yeah, I thought. Yeah, I thought that was weird because I know you're really not supposed to ice, right? Champagne, wine. Um, any drink, if you ask me. No. Oh, okay. <laughs> All right. Um, this one, this one's just kind of fun. He says, um, kind of late in the book, he says, weird is my middle name. And from then on, every time I said Christian Gray, I could only think Christian Weird Gray as a middle name. Oh, I like it. Um, and then Rob, this one, this one you'll appreciate. Um, he had emailed Anna again, this is very late in the book. So this is spoiler alert. This is after she kind of like leaves him. (laughs) And, uh, here's the quote. Come on, Anastasia, answer me. She's always been so prompt. I checked my watch, 14.09, four minutes, still nothing. Does that sound familiar at all to you? <laughs> That's you. With like, that, that anytime you reach out to an, an author, <laughs> right. like right. Livius will send an email to an author, and then he'll text me like 30 minutes later, and he's like, they haven't responded yet, fuck this. <laughs> and I'm like, right. we take months sometimes to respond to people. <laughs> he's such a hypocrite people. about it. 2012, we're still waiting to hear back. <laughs> uh. All right, I got another one. This is a good one. Uh, her sharp intake of breath is music to my dick. <laughs> oh, man, you might be right. That might be the next uh, perspective that this book is written from. Gonna make me squirt out like fifty shades of dong sauce, girl. Music to my dick. All right, well, this might compliment that one. Uh, mm. <laughs> this isn't even a good quote, but the way I read it, um, <laughs> I was like, man, this might have made the book more <laughs> more interesting. As I shave, the asshole in the mirror stares back at me with cool gray eyes. But I read it as, as I shave, the asshole in the mirror. <laughs> And I was like, oh shit, he's going there. Like, And I was invested for a second, but then I realized I just missed the comma. This book would be so much better. <laughs> it was about Christian's grooming habits. <laughs> um, Alright, this one's this one's fairly um, serious and, and not read from a joking standpoint. This is um, 2% into the book. Um, Anastasia has just asked um, Christian if he's gay. Um, he's never been photographed with like a woman and in the media there's never been a, oh this is you know Christian Gray's girl Christian Weird Gray's girlfriend I cannot believe she said that out loud ironically the question even my own family will not ask how dare she I have a sudden urge to drag her out of her seat bend her over my knee spank her and then fuck her over my desk with her hands tied behind her back that would answer her ridiculous question I think this is what Rob was talking about about it coming across a little rapey because just being like, fuck this bitch, I'm not doing the rest of this interview, would be what a normal person would react to a question like that if they found it offensive. <laughs> right? He gets rattled easily, doesn't he? he yeah, really he does, does yeah. but he's like, oh, I'll show this lady. There's going to be some fucking rape sex right here on this desk. That'll show her I'm not gay. <laughs> That'll show her I'm not gay. I love it. I got, a, I got another good one. Uh, her words travel directly to my dick. 
passing go on the way, like Monopoly. That did not. Did that actually happen it's in this book? It's fucking in there. Search it. Oh, no, it is. I remember reading it. Uh, I must have, like, repressed that memory. Penis. Wow. And when they, uh... Yeah, I'm, I'm still trying to figure out how that works. When words travel directly to the dick and they pass go on the way, like, does Anna get $200? <laughs> I guess Anna she gets a free phone and laptop. Yes, and she gets a fucking MacBook, dude. Not like not like that shit that we'd buy women, some fucking $250 HP computer. It's yeah. a MacBook. Good for her. Yeah, but somehow she's still got a BlackBerry. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, this is another one I'd like to bitch about. And this is a this is a little bit longer. Uh, did I hurt you? I ask her, and I tuck a hair behind her ear because I don't want to stop touching her. Anna beams with incredul- incredulity. You are asking me if you hurt me, and for a moment I don't know why she's grinning. Oh, my playroom. The irony is not lost on me. I mutter. But the irony is entirely lost on him because he didn't fucking know what she was talking about, right? <laughs> yes. <laughs> then he says. But the next line is that she confuses him. Ugh, fuck this book. I want to piggyback off Ironic because I have one in, mm-hmm. uh, a line in front of me. Uh, this woman has me tied up in knots. Ironic Gray. And Ironic Gray is in the fucking <laughs> italics. It's his thoughts. I had that one too. <laughs> oh, my God. oh, that's awful. Then there's stuff like this. Here's, here's where we're where she tried so you've got that stupidity these last four quotes or whatever right and then she tries here and then swings and misses right uh she moans into my mouth the call of a siren and finally i can sample her mint and tea and an orchard of mellow fruitfulness she tastes every bit as good as she looks reminding me of a time of plenty what the fuck does that mean (laughs) like 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 if we were farmers and we were like Remember four years ago, we hit all that fruit everywhere. <laughs> like, what the fuck is he reminded of a time of plenty? It's a fucking billionaire. There's always plenty. Yeah, like he's got to dig deep to remember when he had it good. <laughs> oh, one more, real quick, and I don't. I'm gonna need. I'm gonna need some listener help on this. An image of her shackled to my bench, peeled ginger root inserted in her ass, so she can't clench her buttocks, comes to mind. Oh, you've never done the old ginger root in the ass routine. I'm not even sure what ginger root is. Is that the only thing it's used for? It is food, right? I think at certain high-end sushi restaurants you can get it. And stick it in your ass? What do you do with it? Hey, I don't know, man. I'm not a sushi guy. Let's see. Let's see what this. Let's see what this Google search brings up. While you're searching, I have um, what I think actually might be a typo in the book. Um, I would tell you the chapter title, but there's not fucking chapter titles. It's all dates. Um, So this is what occurred on Sunday, May 22nd. This is the first line in the paragraph. Wake with a start and a pervasive sense of guilt as if I've committed a terrible sin. And I was thinking, that doesn't seem like something that Christian would say. I think it was actually what E.L. James was thinking on the day that this was published. Oh, that's cold-blooded. Oh, the day was published, though. There's a big deal made about this on, like, social media. It was um, Christian Gray's birthday. Like, anybody gives a shit. No, it's on my birthday. Well, there you go. You, June 18th. You, uh... and, you and Christian Weird Gray share a birthday. Happy belated birthday. Thank you so much. Happy birthday, you. Brandon Weird Teeth. Thank uh, you. Thank you. She did not make that up. There are at least four links, including a video link involving <laughs> Ginger Root. 
Um, oh, hold on. Figging. Has anyone tried figging? This is when you create a plug made out of ginger. The burning is supposed to be intense for about half an hour. It is one of the most pleasurable sensations I've had. Please view these links as well. I'm not I'm not viewing any of the links. Who had the pleasurable sensation? Uh, somebody who wrote this on zity.biz. I hope so I hope some, I, some some random asshole on the internet endorses it. That's I searched it. ginger root ass. There are several endorsements wow. for this. You haven't done figging before, Livius? Of all of us, I think that you would be the one. Yeah, figs sound like something Eastern European, don't they? <laughs> yeah, oh, well, wait, hold on. Toothpaste gives a similar sensation. Kind of a burning freeze, if that makes sense. If you're a girl... <laughs> hold on. Well, this is the spelling. This is atrocious. If you're a girl, can put toothpaste on your clit or use one of those mouth freshener strip things. This also sounds like a solid endorsement from an educated person. <laughs> oh, like those little Listerine things that like dissolve guess, on your tongue? Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> that's, that's the next step, guys. Putting some uh, Sensodyne on your girl's whisper, whisper biscuit. <laughs> I'm curious if the toothpaste has the same butt clinch sting. The reason ginger works so well is that it causes tension and in turn anticipation to result in pain. Does the toothpaste burn also intensify in this situation? All right, guys, we have to do some research. We'll have to get back to you listeners. Livius is going to do some hands-on. Hey, the, the things we do for this podcast. All right, do we have more quotes? Uh, are you, uh, I'm looking through here. I got a lot of screenshots. I got one really quick. Uh, ever since she met you, she cries all the time. I think that's pretty much solid. <laughs> that's that's actually a good one. Oh, that's dude. I have the music to my dick one highlighted. Yeah, there we go. Of course you do. Of course I do. How could you not, really? This quote was more to, to point out another annoying aspect of, of Christian, and when I say that, of E.L. James and her writing. Over there, I order, pointing to the front passenger seat. Sit. Don't touch anything. I'm amazed when she does as she's told. So we get it. You know, he keeps telling her she has to do this stuff because he's he's the, 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 the dominator in this relationship. But he's constantly surprised where he asks her to do something simple like, hey, get in the elevator so we can go downstairs. And she does it. He's like, oh, she's doing as she's told. Like he's asking her, hey, get in the car and don't touch anything. Now, when I get into someone's car, I don't immediately start like going through the glove box or like fiddling with the radio. I like get in the car and sit there. But he, she does this. He, E.L. James does this probably a dozen times through the course of the book where, where you know, he's like, here, have some water. And she does. He's like, oh, she's doing as she's told. Good girl. <laughs> <laughs> that actually makes me think of did you guys notice that um in the last probably 20 to 25 percent of the book christian got super emo about shit it's funny you mention that because the last part of the book is actually where it started to work for me like him getting rejected and him being all fucking sad and like oh i fucked up that part actually worked for me and the other part that worked for me was the contract, oddly enough. When I was reading the contract, I was sold on it. Like I was like, man, you know what? A guy in this situation trying to cover his ass and uh, you know, not you know, having uh, some sort of misunderstanding with this woman, he actually would make up something like that. So that was one of the few parts that worked for me anyways. 
Yeah, I, I have to agree with you. There's actually a note that I have in my little chapter breakdown that says something like, uh, on one of the chapters, let's see, Stockholm Syndrome may be setting in because I only feel one thing, relief that something actually happened. <laughs> Uh, that was me, my little note. So, like, it was like the last six chapters of the book, but I was like, something's going on. I'm so excited. But he gets super fucking moody about shit when, um, <clears throat> when it's not like all fucking like rainbows and shit. Uh, when he actually has to deal with someone who doesn't want to do exactly what he wants. And you get shit like this Night has fallen, and the river is inky black, like the sky, like my mood. Ugh. Ugh. That's fucking That's noir right there. This is from, um, I believe, this is from the first time that they have sex. I'm going to fuck you now, Miss Steele, hard. One thrust and I'm inside her. (laughs) F-U-C-K. Yeah, F dot dot C dot K dot. (laughs) (laughs) What I got, what I got. Please, Anna, let me make love to you, I whisper against her mouth. Yes, she responds, and my body lights up like the 4th of July. Even though fireworks are illegal here pretty much everywhere. Oh, wow. That is like the limits of his ability to be romantic. Um, I think I want to... uh... I think I want to continue on the emo kind of... The broody, moody Christian. The smoke detector on my ceiling is winking at me. It's flashing green light. Mocking me. <laughs> you know what? I did. I did laugh at it when I read it, but when you do it, it's funny. That's just. I, I imagine that's exactly how his mind. Like he thought. He thought it to himself, and those that exact like tone and like tempo and stuff. I'm gonna throw out one last one, and and I understand that that writing um, 400 sex scenes in 500 pages um, can be challenging for a writer to get right. Or to get, you know, where, where the majority of people can relate to the content. But she did this twice. I didn't highlight the second part, but um, 30% into the book. Um, uh, watching her needing me, I could explode in my hand just looking at her. Grabbing her, I flip her over, keeping her fine, comma, fine ass in the air. Your first her ass is fine, comma, fine, twice in the book. And I would think that you just got to come up with them. Like, that's bad enough once, but the second time you use it, you've really just got to reach out and ask for some help. I don't know, man. Sometimes an ass is just fine. No. Fine, fine. Fine. Fine, fine. Fine, fine. Um, I've got two more that are both, like, like crappy fake noir quotes, That's and then I'll be done. <laughs> Uh, this one I fucking love because now I'm every time I t- I'm gonna do this every time I take a shower now I scrub my hair with grim determination. <laughs> oh, I love it! And then um, I think this was right after that. <clears throat> when I reach my bedroom, she's showering, so I quickly change into jeans and a t-shirt. I've chosen black, suitable for my mood. Oh, that's dark. That's it. That's all I got. Uh, I got one more. <clears throat> I got prefaces. I, I, you know, when you put your title into the actual body of the novel, it could either be really, really cool or how she does it. 
All right, so this is uh, Anna starting off. Uh, imagine if I said to you that you couldn't touch me, she says, as argumentative as ever. She's not going to let this go. I sit down on the bed. Anastasia, I told you, 50 shades. I had a rough start in life. You don't want this shit in your head. 50 shades, guys. Yeah. It's there. Yeah. It's even worse than the fucking first one. Oh, 50 shades of fucked up. Yeah. And yeah, yeah it, it's brought up more. I think it's it comes up more. Maybe she thinks of it more when it's from her perspective, but like yeah, she fucking beats you over the head with it in the other book. Oh, does she say it a lot in there? Yeah. Oh god. Yeah. Here is the one quote. I found the one that I liked. So I'm going to do this. <laughs> I'm going to savor this moment. That's not the quote. Hold on. I'm having trouble flipping That's going to be like, I mean, anybody could write that. <laughs> Where the fuck is, what happened to my page? Oh, there we go. Sorry. Didn't get over far enough. All right. Um, so um, Christian says to her, um, so you have no choice. And she says, clearly, her tone is sarcastic. And she rolls her eyes to the heavens, perhaps looking for divine inspiration to understand my sense of humor. That's the one line in this book that I actually liked. Um, okay. <laughs> I just want to throw out there. I mean, there's probably, what, 2,000 lines in this book? I like that one. I don't know. All right. Um, can we also talk about one thing? I know we talked about this, and I didn't expect a different ending, clearly, because it is the same story retold. But um, if you're going to write and put out a trilogy, I still strongly feel that each book has to have a self-containing story that ends, especially if it's the first one. Um, this story had no ending. This story was they get together, they hook up back and forth. This one might have been worse. Rob, do you remember... The last book actually ends with him just kind of her like walking out, right? Walking out on him saying she's done, I think. Um, no, I think there was a little bit after that where she goes and does like shit in her life without him or something. Mm -hmm. Because um, there's that whole thing later with like going to the photographer exhibit thing. So if I remember correctly, there was like a couple chapters after that. Okay. In this book, here's how it ends. She's left me. I send her flowers. Then I remember that we had this uh, this date to go to Portland and see this photographer. So I send her an email saying, hey, would you like a lift to the photographer? And she responds back, I'd love a lift. That's it. There's no ending to this story. So it's not a standalone book. I mean, I realize that it's part of a trilogy. But let's think about some famous trilogies for a minute. Star Wars comes to mind. There's a pretty clear ending to star wars right like you know the war is not over but you know they've they've gotten some new people there's there's an ending uh indiana jones which is probably no longer a trilogy but you know what there's a clear ending to the end of the story i mean i can go on and on with you know multiple um you know multiple book or movie um stories they, they have to have an end they have to have some kind of sense of closure, and this this book doesn't. Like you literally flip the page. If I didn't, if it didn't say ninety nine percent, you know, I, I would have tried to like flip the page and find the ending if it was my first read through. So E.L. James kind of fails in that fashion too. She should have found a way to end this particular chapter of the story. It just was left so ambiguous and vague, and that, my opinion, sucks for a book if it's E.L. James or not. All right. I can't disagree with that. 
the absolute last line of the book is, Today, I win her back. And nobody cares. So he's nobody gotten cares. over the whole obsessive, possessive kind of thing, and now he's going to be a real boyfriend, right? Right? <laughs> it's it's really tempting. It's really tempting to read the other two books. Just because I want to know where this relationship ends up. I imagine it ends <laughs> up with them together. Oh, my God. yeah. But what does she do for another fucking thousand pages? Can I... But can I, I know that we're going into our lazy summer of podcasting and you're going to have time to read. Yeah. I'm going to save you the trouble of reading those two books and just say, go read the synopsis on Wikipedia. That's exactly what I did. And <laughs> that was enough for me. I was thinking maybe the movies. You know, the yeah. movies maybe. I don't know. There's like a, I think a, in the third one, there's a, she gets pregnant and he's really pissed off because... Uh, He's like, oh, you fucking did that shit on purpose. You're trying to trap me. And then uh, I guess he hints at an abortion and things get like super fucking emotional. I don't know. I don't give a shit. Wow. I honestly didn't see that coming. And then they move to Detroit and start doing crack. That would be like a full circle kind of feel for the whole thing. Yeah, well, I became the, uh, the crack mom. Yeah, there you go. Do we need to do a wrap up? I mean, I know um, we do. Can we but... do? Can we challenge like wrap up in less than fifteen seconds or something? Yeah, let's do it. Let's do it. Um, I'll start. Even um, I don't know if you want to set a timer for this. Um, this book is terrible. It's as terrible as the first one. Um, it's a lot of words and a lot of pages, and it's kind of funny if you read it from that standpoint. So I'm going to go with one star. Um, that was less than 15. Good job. I will, uh, Brandon, you want to end? I can do the middle one. I could be the, the meat in this sandwich. Yeah, sure. Um, you know, for me, the problem wasn't so much the story. The act, the story actually worked for me in the context of a movie. It really worked for me in the context of a movie. The problem is James's writing. I didn't believe these characters. I didn't believe the dialogue. Uh, it's pretty fucking awful. It's overwritten. It's at least a couple hundred pages long. Um, and as for an erotica novel, I found the sex scenes fairly tame and oftentimes really, really short. Um, but I can't discount the fact that this shit sells like a motherfucker and it made a ton of money. So I'm going to give it one and a half stars based on that. Wow. Um, <clears throat> all right. This book sucked. The book that it was written from sucked as well. And nothing, impossibly, nothing got better, even though, like, she's got all the money and resources in the world. Um, and, and I guess that, that just could be my expecting too much and her, her fan base. Maybe they wanted exactly this. So while they might be just, like, jerking off over how awesome this book is for them, um, it was terrible. And I expected it to be terrible. I'm still disappointed I had to put in the time to read it. Um, and I'm going to drive to Baltimore and beat up Nick Corpon. Uh, but otherwise, this story is half a star. That's it. Half. Oh, good God. I'm the fucking highest rating. It's terrible. You, you are. <laughs> um, guys, I just pulled up the New York Times bestseller list. Um, uh, anyone want to take a guess at what the number one combined print and ebook? Um, the Martian? It is not The Martian. It is Gray by E.L. James. Uh, oddly, I don't know if this was even released in hardcover. No, they came out in paperback trade, and it's number one in paperback trade. The Martian, number two this last week. So these numbers are a little outdated. By the time most of you are hearing this, there will be a new list that certainly will have Gray at the top of it again. 
It is number five in overall sales on Amazon right now as well. Oof, man. Like you said, fucking money. Money, money, money. And and I'm willing to bet, too. Not only is it number one in, in, in paperback trade, I'm betting it's number one by a landslide. Yeah, and it's kind of sad because uh, she's going to do this two more times. Yeah. I mean, can you believe? I mean, how easy is that? You just go back to your prior work and just rewrite it from a different character's perspective. Well, page by page, too, because, like you said, the, you know, like what we mentioned earlier, the conversations are exactly the same. It kills me. It's like, is this what it's come to? It's like, it's like Christian looked at me with anger, and then in the new book, it's like I looked at her angrily. <laughs> <laughs> Here's all right, just a little perspective. So we. If you combine our ratings and average them out, it's about a one star from the three of us, right? Mm-hmm. On Amazon, <clears throat> almost 27. What's that? Four and a half, right? Uh, 4.3 out of five. Of 2,700 reviews, 69% were five stars. Oh, God, I'm going to fucking throw up. 8% <laughs> were one star. 8% were one star. We are the 8%. <laughs> what yeah. I'd like to know is how many of those people, uh, those five star reviews, this is their their second read through that it's you know that they read Fifty Shades. I have to imagine a good number. I can't imagine there's a lot of people that pick this up for the first time. Well, we're gonna get a lot of downloads off of this. That's all I know. There you go. So we're, <laughs> we're, this this is a money grab for us as well. <laughs> let's, let's be honest. <laughs> we're riding those coattails. Livius is like. Let's do this. And I was like, yeah, can we do the summer first and come back to it? And he's like, oh, if we drop it in the first week, we'll probably get a ton of downloads. And I was like, God damn it, fine. <laughs> so it's that's, a peek behind the curtain. That's how planning. we... <laughs> Nick, Warpon, Nick Warpon totally owes us a bunch of drinks for going through this shit for him. He really does. He does. He really does. Um. All right, so let's put E.L. James behind us, hopefully... Oh, I, I mean, ugh, if she ever writes anything that's not Fifty Shades of Grey related, we we almost have to. Almost. Have uh, to. Nope. <laughs> the Wheel of Meat. Rob, Rob, don't forget the Wheel of Meat. God uh, damn it. Why do you always me- invent these things that fuck me? These are, you know what? These you're are... like my Christian Grey because you're just finding different ways to fuck me all the time. <clears throat> I didn't think it was that funny. He's uh, really tickled. No, me. it's true though. Because seriously, <laughs> I look at something like this and I go, "You know, who's gonna fucking hate this." Rob's gonna hate this. <laughs> and I'll put myself through it. <laughs> Just uh, fuck. Brandon, do you want to take a minute and refill your drink? <laughs> yeah, it's funny. I just got to the end of it. Oh no, we could hear the ice. We know. We're good. I've been vaping too. That'll be edited out. You've oh, been you're vaping, vaping very quietly. Oh, yeah, I got a good one. It's got a silencer. <laughs> Is that a real thing? No. Fuck no, I made that up. God damn it. Because <laughs> like, I'll buy Livius one. It's going to make like our podcast 20% better if Livius just gets a silencer for his vape, vape whatever you call it. Oh, I man, have been very book, good at book podcast stuff. drinking game. You got to drink every time <laughs> Livius vapes. It's good. It's good stuff. All right, so... um. Let's talk about a writer we, we, we like better than E.L. James. Brandon Teets, how you been, buddy? Oh, I've been good, man. Just grinding and uh, trying to finish a couple things up. Um, so, as mentioned at the top of the episode, we reviewed Good Sex, Great Prayers. Um, God, it's got to be a year ago now? 
Uh, yeah, you know, uh, maybe maybe a little less than that, I think. But yeah, and I appreciate that very much, guys. I was gonna say, don't make me look that shit up. I'm not going to. <laughs> Rob is constantly mad when he doesn't can't throw out an episode number. It's it was easy when we only had like 110. Now he's finding it more challenging, I think. Oh yeah, you guys are like what way over 250 now, right? 261, I think. Yeah. There you go. Jesus Christ. Yeah. So give people a rundown. I noticed, um, and I know it was a sale, but I saw that Good Sex Great Prayers is still selling in good numbers. Um, so people are still reaching out for this book, which is excellent for you. But um, you want to tell uh, our listeners a little bit about um, Good Sex Great Prayers? Episode 196. I knew it was in the 190s. I just looked it up. Man, you know what? Uh, the more that I hear the reaction, the more that it, I guess, if they like Stephen King, that they're going to really, really like this. Um, but God, you know what? I think people, the best thing that they can do is go back and listen to that ep- episode because you guys do a fucking great job of breaking it down and keeping the spoilers out, which I really appreciate. And I know that's hard to do when it's a 450-page book and there's a lot going on. But um, no, you guys did a great job on that. So I'll, I'll let the episode speak for it. Even better. That's the first time that's happened to us, I think. That's nice. Yeah, thank you. I feel like we actually um, do something here now. I uh, I agree very much with those people, and I believe I said during the review myself, it reminded me of Stephen King um, in, in the best of ways, because not all King is great King. Um, I've read a lot of his books, and some are better than others. It does definitely remind me of good King now. The interesting thing is, and I said you were finishing some things up. You were nice enough, and I mentioned this at the top of the episode, to send over a couple of short stories that I believe are previously unpublished, correct? Right. Uh, one of them has sold, and the other one um, somebody is looking at. Very nice. Um, <clears throat> your short stories are really different than your long fiction. Now, granted, Good Sex, Great Prayers is the only novel. Um, you write in a really interesting way, and I've been trying to think of how I would classify most of your short stories. So I've read a handful, six, seven, I don't know, but almost in a, <clears throat> if I were to, to, to correlate your stories to like photography, it would kind of be like fashion photography, but not the runway model stuff, the like weird outdoor nighttime fashion stuff. Do you have any idea? I, I, Rob's probably like, what the fuck is he talking about? Brandon, do you have any idea what I'm talking about? I think I do. Okay. The Which fuck is, are you talking about? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Which is really great. Um, I just finished, and I rushed to finish this before um, before the podcast. I, I just finished the story Perfect Girl. Um, which um, is excellent and very entertaining and informative in that. Um, can I talk just briefly about what the story is about without oh, giving too much away? Yeah. And, and yeah. by the way, that is the one that is already sold. Awesome. Good. Um, it's, uh, it's about a woman who is married to a, a filthy rich man, and she is now undergoing the transition that all young women who marry an older Jewish man, apparently, um, go through. And, and it's basically all about the plastic surgery and um, about the transition from being the um, girl that just caught the eye of an older man to becoming, um, you know, a, a variety of names I could probably throw out uh, of, of people who are in the media. But the stories are always super informative um, from that aspect. So I can tell you do your research, um, but they always have this weird, like I said, kind of fashion sense to them, which is really interesting. 
yeah, you know, uh, I happen to know uh, a few people that have undergone some of those surgeries, and they have proven to be uh, great resources of information. Uh, of course, you could go on the internet and you know look at what the surgery entails, but you really don't know what the fuck you're talking about until you actually talk to someone who's gone through that shit. And uh, recovery is the worst, uh, as I'm sure you know by now. From experience, do you mean? Uh, no, I, I have not experienced it, but uh, I, I have talked to more than a few people who have gone through that. And, uh, yeah, it's, uh, it, it's, it's pretty bad. I don't know if you got around to reading it, Rob, but, uh, yeah, it, it, it's some pretty disgusting shit. No, actually, I've, I've had a pretty packed schedule this weekend with, like, being at a wedding and then trying to navigate through um, the happiest gay people in the world. Uh, just to get back here to record this, so I, I sadly did not uh, get a chance to uh, to check it out, but um, I will now. I have a ton of time after we get done recording this to read it. <laughs> He's got like two months. Finally on break, yeah. You also got to spend some time with Chuck Palahniuk, which is uh, which is a pretty cool thing too. I did, yeah, that was awesome. Um, yeah, so what was this um, November? Uh, I believe it was. I got to read with him at uh, DNA Lounge in San Francisco uh, because I was in... <laughs> Which is the worst name for a nightclub ever, I think, it if you really, really does, read into that title. It really does make you think of Dirty Semen, which for this episode is appropriate. Um, but yeah, you know, that was just such a fucking great experience. And he is the nicest guy. Uh, and oddly enough, like really, really shy, uh, to, it, it takes a little bit for him to like kind of warm up to people, which, you know, that's fine, but just a, a, a great guy. And it was so cool to just be able to talk to him and kind of, you know, just chit chat with the guy. And yeah, I, 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 it, it felt surreal. And then, uh, he came to Kansas city and, um, at first, I thought I was, you know, going to be his opener or whatever, because that's what, like, his tour manager sort of hinted towards. Um, but it didn't pan out. But what did happen was I got to talk to the tour manager, and I got to talk to Chuck a little bit before the show. And then uh, during the show, when Chuck is talking about all the books that he's going to give out, because he gives out books as prizes or whatever, he got to Burnt Tongues, and he said, uh, and included in burnt tongues is one of your own brandon why don't you go ahead and stand up and wave to everybody so it was just awesome getting a shout out like that in front of my home crowd it was fucking awesome that's pretty excellent um the thing that i was thinking about that and and you can absolutely not answer this if you don't want to is like do you get kind of a bump in like your uh recognition after doing a show with someone like chuck polnick like like, I don't know necessarily in sales, but like, in just like, you know, um, like, do you get a bump in name recognition? Does that kind of move you up a step on the ladder at all? It, it really does. Um, it, it's funny because I got a lot of random messages, uh, after the San Francisco thing. And then I also got a, a few kind of random things after the Kansas city thing too. So yeah, it does, it does pan out like that. And then you know, especially after San Francisco, because there's a lot of like photos and whatnot taken um, 
I think it helps people when they can actually see it as opposed to just hearing about it. Um, but yeah, no, it totally happens. As soon as you do something like that, yeah, you, you get a little bump in, in sales and recognition. Man, I wish it worked that way for podcasters. When we review, when we like interview someone um, who a lot of people know their name, then just everybody who it just wrote their first book, it, we're now on their radar. So uh-huh. it kind of works the opposite for us. We get like we get a big name. It doesn't bring other big names. It brings like every little like lower name ever to like to the podcast. Am I right about that, Livius? Yeah, the emails go. Um... Oh, I see you guys like books. I write books. They have words in them. You'll probably like this because I know you like some other books with words in them. <laughs> Read my memoir from being in World War II. And, like, uh, it's obvious we never, you know, that type of thing. The gay cowboy porn. <laughs> the gay cowboy porn. That did happen. There was that. Um, someone sent us over something spiritual, I think, recently. <laughs> um, if you've listened to the podcast, you know both Rob and I are devoutly um, Catholic. Um, yeah. and love reading all that kind of stuff. Brandon, you you wrote some some fairly religious stuff too, if I remember correctly. Oh, you know, one or two things. I never really stopped to consider like the the hugeness of of your slush pile. I mean, it's got to be ridiculous, right? <laughs> um, it, it ebbs and flows, but like there'll be times where we're just like I'm fucking tired of people just not and it's the same thing with like i'm sure anybody who's ever kind of taken submissions for anything is just like they do they don't know us they just know that they could use us for something you know it's that type of thing. That's shitty. Yeah. well yeah. and it's always it's always really clear in in the type of stuff because anybody i mean god if you even spend just five minutes looking through the stuff we reviewed you'll notice that that you know 50 shades is, is a little bit of a departure from what we normally do but we have a style we have a a preferred thing we like to look at. It's usually, you know, we got lumped into the crime community pretty hard. We do a lot of crime stuff. We do some horror. Most of the stuff we do just is dark, you know? And, and like I said, you get this, I have this spiritual book. I have this gay cowboy novel. Like I, I it's, it's offensive almost that somebody didn't spend two minutes scrolling through the episodes to go. Yeah, this isn't a fit once in a while, you know, you get something where you go, huh? This does seem like it's right up our alley. The person actually, you know, seems to have done some research and then, you know, we, we consider it. But yeah, it's it's a lot of times I don't get halfway through the emails. But we were just about to talk religion. We were going to talk religion. <clears throat> so we mentioned this on an episode. So um, oh, I don't even know how to how to. Uh, I love talking about to, religion, by the way. How to shape? How to shape this? <laughs> um, Brandon and I, perhaps, maybe, if we had a DNA test, we might be, we might be from the same, from the same mother, at least. I'm thinking. And I mentioned this, and I think much to Brandon's surprise, I mentioned this to him in Minneapolis. I may have been a little drunk at the time. No, um, you were. We had we had Livia's <laughs> drinking. I got to take the blame for this because he does not drink bourbon, and we had him on fucking bourbon that night, and then it was like a whole different Livia's. It was, but one of the reasons is that Brandon and I had a very similar idea for a story years apart, um, and, and I sent that over to Brandon earlier uh, today, and, and this is not something that's for public consumption. It's not something you're really going to be able to find anywhere. It's something that I wrote a few years ago in a collaboration with Rob. Um, but yeah, I thought it was really interesting that two people could have the same idea I'm referring to, and I strongly, strongly recommend 
um, that, that people go out and get the fashion of the Christ, which is Brandon Heat's novella. It's available on Amazon, I think, for like a paltry 99 cents, if I'm not mistaken. That is correct, yes. Yes. And read it, because it's great stuff. So, there you go. That's and then, what I've and then in, yes. a way, in a way, you will have read a story by Livius. <laughs> correct. Sort of, kind of. Not really. Brandon, <laughs> as I told Brandon earlier this evening, yours was much better. That's why yours oh. is available for people to read. So. <laughs> um, how do you... So, Good Sex, Great Prayers had some stuff that is um, maybe a little bit... I don't want to say anti-religious... But maybe push the buttons, pushes the buttons of religious people a little bit. And the fashion of the Christ definitely, definitely is designed, I think, to do exactly that. Um, why, how, and what kind of feedback do you get about that? You know, honestly, um, both times with both of those things, I was expecting that I was going to get attacked. I was, you know, I thought something was going to happen. And for fashion of the Christ, it was just a bunch of people realizing that it's, you know, satire and not meant to be taken seriously. And absolutely nothing happened. And then for Good Sex, Great Prayers, um, the weirdest thing happened. Uh, people kept saying that I respected religion. I didn't pick from the low-hanging fruit. Um, absolutely nothing bad happened. So... Twice in a row, I was completely surprised that I didn't get trolled or anything. It was incredible. I kept waiting for it to happen. Never happened. Um, you're not working hard enough, I think, is what I this really boils down to. If you don't anger a, a, a Christian, then you're just not trying. Or, or just Christians aren't reading it. I don't know. But, yeah, just both times in a row. Never happened. Hmm. That's pretty crazy. Um what about now? I just want to find one that you did get a reaction from. I could ask the question, "Did you get it? What did you get a reaction from?" But um, I just want to, and this is totally self promotion. If you check on episode two hundred twenty of the booked podcast, you can hear Brandon reading uh, his story from Burnt Tongues, the name of which eludes me at the moment. Uh, dietary. Dietary. That had to fucking get somebody upset. I'm hoping. No, not at all. I don't know what I'm doing wrong, guys. <laughs> um, I you find you figure, very offensive if that makes yeah. you feel any better. If you can figure out the formula of what you're doing wrong and not upsetting people, maybe. Maybe you'll have E.L. James-level success I, at some point. I guess, yeah. I just, you know, I'm trying to piss people off and it's not working. Well, there was that lady in the bookstore with her kid. She didn't seem too thrilled. Oh, yeah, that kid's fucked up for life now. <laughs> yeah, that kid's going to be a billionaire one day with a playroom. <clears throat> all right all right well brandon i um i don't usually apologize to, to guest reviewers but uh i want you to have a sincere booked apology for what you went through and uh hopefully uh, you're willing teens, to come back if we promise touch, not to, sex, to kind of prayers, troll you with a book listening to like a piece of shit to read i will absolutely come back excellent well uh thanks again for bringing um uh, another perspective because like here's the thing if we just read we already reviewed 50 shades of great if it was just the two of us it would be us saying the same shit as we did, you know, last time. It would be you guys going back to the well. Right. So you bring a fresh perspective that, oh, thank you. yeah, she should have written you into the book. And then, but anyway, um, thanks, thanks for uh, giving us another, another perspective on this. It was no problem, guys. The perfect setup. 
All right, and with that, listeners, you have the final review <laughs> that we're going to be doing for probably, I think it's eight weeks is what we kind of talked about. So we'll maybe something pops up really important before that. But we will be back. We will be back every week. We will be back with guest hosts. We will be back with interviews. Um, we're not really sure what the next episode brings yet, mostly because I didn't do my job and reach out to the person I was supposed to reach out to. But there will be a next episode. <laughs> it could be an interlude. God damn it, it Olivia. Could be just me talking. I, I mean, Rob may not even be. I don't know. But there's going to be something next week. So keep coming back um, and and welcome to the Lazy Summer of Podcasting. Until then, I'm Livia Snedden. I'm Rob Olson. And I'm Brandon Teets. Keep reading. <laughs>